you always wanted to hear the hockey stories told from the press box? For your premier source of hockey prospect news from across the AHL, NCAA, Canadian Hockey League, and international leagues, this is your all-access pass to The Press Zone, a hockey podcast packed with news, analysis, interviews, and entertainment featured on AHLReport.com. Your hosts, Amy Johnson and Rick Stevens, are experienced, credentialed hockey reporters, bringing you stories built from strong connections throughout the hockey community and from inside rinks all across North America. Welcome to The Press Zone. Welcome to The Press Zone. This week, it is, oh my goodness, the final episode of the month of October, if you can believe that. Uh, we're so glad you're here joining us today here at The Press Zone on AHL Report. I'm your host, Amy Johnson. I'm the lead correspondent here at the AHL Report, and I'm joined every week by my wonderful co-host, our founder and editor-in-chief at Rocket Sports Media, Rick Stevens. How are you? And uh, happy early All Hollow Eve, Halloween, Samhain, whatever you celebrate. <laughs> happy Halloween to you. And <laughs> which reminds me, uh, Joseph Whalen, uh, who I do the Canadians Connection podcast with on Saturday, said that he mm-hmm. is wearing a costume for next Saturday. is is actually Halloween. Um, so we're doing a podcast on Halloween and he said he's doing a cost, he's going to wear a costume for it into the studio. Well, naturally that means since you are the leader, the fearless leader of our team, that you'll likely be in costume in support of your co-host That's very unlikely. That is very (laughs) unlikely. You know, I like to stay behind the scenes and, uh, let my talent go out and, and, uh, take the forefront. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm. The spotlight. So, you guys could like do like a like a like a planned like duo costume, you know? That no. no. Girls do that. That, that sounds too cutesy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not like a little Starsky and Hutch, you know, no like not, not, no Listen, I haven't even started thinking about next weekend cuz I'm still basking in the glory of last weekend. Um you know, it's been. We're not talking about it's fantasy been tough. sports. It's been really tough this fantasy sports. We're not talking about league. fantasy sports. And, this uh, is not a fantasy sports podcast. It's taken, uh, you know, it's mm. it's taken a lot more creativity this year because of mm-hmm. not only there's always injuries in the in football, but mm-hmm. now there's COVID diagnoses and uh, games canceled and postponed and moved around, and so it's taken a lot more. Uh huh. A little bit of ingenuity here, so um, really? doing pretty well. Yeah, doing pretty well. We we have, of course, all Habs fantasy sports. We have both fantasy football, fantasy hockey. Uh, our commissioner, BZ, looks after it, um, does a good job. And um, yeah, this past weekend, uh, I'm only I'm, I'm down only in three leagues this year um, because of of uh, you know uh, the pandemic. Yeah, situation. I'm not in as many leagues as I normally am either. So, uh, but this weekend, um, uh-huh. uh, in three three leagues, uh, <laughs> two of those leagues, I was matched up against uh, yourself, and one against my brother. And my we know my brother is much mm-hmm. more of an athlete than than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we know that. 
Well, I would say so. Oh. I, I well, I, it, his, our listeners now know his 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 <laughs> nephew is a better athlete than both of us put together. I think. I've heard. Did I say his nephew? My nephew, his son. <laughs> My really? nephew, yes. My mm-hmm. goodness, quite the baseball player. Yes. Um, yes, you beat me in a couple of leagues this mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah, I won all three. Which well, was... you were crabbing and crying about it so much when when I, I'm getting I, I'm hearing things from you after the early games on Sunday. My teams aren't good. My my teams are just not doing anything. So I had I took pity and then I let you come I back see. and win. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's not my fault. You know what was Odell helpful? Odell Beckham Jr. is out for the season. What am I supposed to do? I got a big fat zero from Odell. You know what was helpful? What? My brother was way ahead. Was way ahead. Um, I And all I had was the Rams defense going up against Chicago last night. Don't anger half of our Philly audience. <laughs> and Don't anger them. The incompetence. Don't. The absolute incompetence Don't of Nikki of our Super Bowl winning quarterback, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, helped my Rams defense Quit to it. Uh, to get quite a few points, and and I, it was a comeback victory. Oh, Nikki Foles, mm-hmm. Nikki Foles, and then Carson pulls out some. I don't even know how they won on Thursday night. I really don't. Yeah, you got big points from Carson against big, me. I got big points from Carson in a game that they were just they didn't deserve to win i'm sorry hmm. the entire nfc east is a dumpster fire this year the fact that any of them are going to make the playoffs with a losing record is ridiculous well the eagles are are, are they still top of the division with two wins is that i i, I believe so okay <laughs> the bar is really high for the <laughs> nfc east let me tell you and the eagles play dallas on the sunday night game this week so wow get ready for must not watch TV. <laughs> oh, but I digress. Okay, yes. Yeah, so congratulations. Thank Next you. time, uh, don't worry. I will. Uh, I will be sure to uh, return the favor. Well, listen, we've had enough talk about fantasy football this season on this show, so we'll have to. Uh, Who are uh, you, Joseph Whalen? <laughs> that sounds like a dodge, like he would try to weasel out of. Come on now. All right. Well, we do have a lot of sports to talk about on this show, just not uh, anymore on the NFL. We have a great show ahead for you today. Um, We've got uh, a great guest coming up uh, in our second segment that you're not going to wit want to miss uh but first in our first segment we're going to basically just cover um you know some some nhl and and ahl news so we're going to talk a little bit about some things involving the montreal Canadiens. of course we're going to talk uh, uh we've got some philly topics for you as well uh in addition to uh there's been a lot of 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 quotes and reports coming out this week on the status of the minor leagues, the AHL, the ECHL, even the SPHL here in the in the in the southern parts of the states, um, and what return to play? It's it's getting dicey, you know. We we we've had that target start date of December fourth for the AHL. That's looking less and less likely every day. Uh, so we're going to cover uh, just some of the things that have come out from from some of the representatives of those leagues over the last couple of days. 
And then in our second segment, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we've got a fantastic interview uh, with a very special guest coming today, uh, and that would be Ken Reed. He's a broadcaster on Sportsnet in Canada, a very, uh, very popular sportscaster. Uh, and uh, we he's, he's also an author of uh, tremendous uh, sports books, and he's joining us today to talk about uh, hockey, of course, but also his most recent addition for your library bookshelf uh, in your home library uh, with his most recent book. So he'll be here with us in our second segment. You don't want to miss that interview. And then in our third segment, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some, you know, some some of the the folks in, in national hockey media are taking a look at prospect rankings for organizations now that the draft has taken place. And uh, you might be surprised to find that um, not everyone um, has teams like uh, Ottawa or the Rangers or Montreal or Philadelphia in the same spot in the in their rankings of who's got the best uh, prospect pool uh, after the draft. Maybe some moved up, maybe some moved down. We're going to talk about that a little bit, uh, as well as uh, give you a little bit of... I mentioned it's the last episode in October. That means next week is November, which means it is Movember starting next month. Mm. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll kind of give you our... Uh, focus on on the Movember campaign for this year. And of course, we're going to wrap things up with a great feel-good finale today. Well, well, let's get going. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so let's kick off this first segment uh, talking about NHL news first. Um, and, and I guess really, Rick, the big thing with Montreal this week was um, the return of Claude Julien to members of the media in a very, very lengthy uh, Zoom call uh, press conference with the media, and he certainly seemed to have a lot to say. He did, and and it's been that way uh, <laughs> since his health scare, and and we're everyone's happy to to know that he's doing well. Mm-hmm. He feels better than he has in a long time. Uh, he's exercising and and uh, seems to be uh, well on his way. I, I mean, there was some question whether he'd be able to return behind the bench when he suffered. Um, uh, the, the heart ailment, and uh, but but all look uh, to be back on track, and he's planning already for uh, the new season, as you might expect. Um, and and he has been a little bit more uh, since that that scary. He has been a little bit more patient for media questions, and uh, it was a little over an hour, I guess, that he spent with the media via Zoom, uh, talking about all uh, range of issues. Um, it, it, both uh, what happened in the return to play and then uh, planning for uh, next year's lineup with all the new additions uh, made by Mark Bergevin. Absolutely. You know, he's and and of course, the the inevitable. Oh, well, what do you think your line combinations are going to be? Well, Claude Julian, you know, while he <laughs> while he may have some ideas in his head, isn't going to necessarily lay all of that out. Uh, particularly not before a training camp situation. But Rick, the one, one of the things that jumped out um, that you even brought to my attention, and and we said, you know, we we should we should talk about that on the on the show next week, um, was the fact that in terms of Max Domi in the return to play, you know, Yasperi Kakinemi and Nick Suzuki ended up being just balls of energy and 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 sources of 
a lot of offense that perhaps folks weren't expecting in the return to play, given the the positions in the in the top six that they were given. However, Claude Julian kind of, you know, alluded in this in this interview that, well, he was kind of forced into that, that it wasn't something necessarily that they had planned to do, that they weren't, it wasn't something that they necessarily specifically saw Kakanyemi, saw Suzuki and said, this is where we're going to plug them in. Uh, Domi's going to play more of a, a third or fourth role li- uh, line role. No, it was more of all of a sudden, Max Domi wasn't there for the beginning of training camp. That forced the coaching staff into making some some changes to the lineup. And lo and behold, something you and I have preached for years and years and years, um, when you have top prospects, put them, even if you don't know if they will fail or not, put them in a position where they might surprise you and put them in a position to succeed and just see what happens. Give them the confidence and lo lo and behold, look what happened with KK and Suzuki. Max Domi got joined joined the team and and couldn't keep up with them, basically. Well, um, and and you have to understand, I guess, uh, taking a step back from from that, you have to understand that Claude Julien is a planner. Um, mm-hmm. Very different training camps since Claude Julien came back to the team. Different than, let's say, um, uh, Michelle Therrien, who Michelle Therrien would try in training camp, he would try all different sorts of combinations to see how things would uh, pan out. And then um, by the end of training camp, he would have made his decisions on on the trios, the forward trios. Um Claude Julian's been quite different in that uh, he sits down with his assistant coaches over the summer on paper. Uh, they decide what is the best uh, line combination. So uh, we, when during training camp, uh, any t- September training camp, um, the 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 defensive pairings and the forward lines are pretty much set. There's there's a bit of of a, a tweaking and adjustments, uh, but they've thought these through pretty carefully, and and there's there's very little movement, uh, or at least that's the way it has worked. So with the return to play, um, he had something obviously in mind. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, Max Domi penciled into one of those spots. And then when Max Domi, uh, took a week to decide how the protocols were going to, uh, work and, uh, whether that would, uh, be safe enough for him, uh, with his diabetic condition, um, during that time, um, Claude Julian said that the the coaching staff, the the full coaching staff, their eyes were opened to other possibilities uh, that they hadn't considered uh, before the return to play uh, began. And that was uh, Kakanyemi coming in, looking bigger, stronger, uh, and uh, looking like he could play play up in the lineup. Suzuki, um, you know, haven't... Had progressed through the season and and uh, hadn't hadn't uh, uh, missed a step over 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 the pause. So um, he said that that their play during uh, the, during the, the the practices and and the exhibition game against Toronto signaled to to the coaching staff that uh, their two young center prospects were ready for much more responsibility, and that bumped. 
um, Max Domi down the lineup and uh, to use uh, Claude Julien's words, made Max Domi expendable when it came to the offseason. And so my my reaction when when we first talked about this, my reaction was, okay, so did Claude Julien learn his lesson? And I say that because Claude Julien, as you say, he's a planner, but he's also notorious for being pretty stingy with young prospects in his lineup. Um, we've talked extensively on this on this show about um, the difficulty, particularly in the Montreal Canadiens organization, for prospects to transition from the AHL into the NHL because they tend to get called up. Uh, and they tend to get plugged into a, a fourth line position. Um, maybe if they're lucky, they might make an, an appearance on the third line, but typically it's a bottom six, um, not a lot of ice time, and uh, special teams is is few and far between. Um, and no, you, not every player that you call up from the AHL, you're going to plug onto the second line. Uh, and and put them on the first wave of the power play. You're not going to do that. However, in certain circumstances and on a case by case basis, depending on on their merit and and how you've scouted their development and how their progress is going, um, you give them certain opportunities at certain points within a game or or certain games uh, within a within a week. That let's just. Let's put them in this position and let's see what they can do. Let's give them the confidence that we say, okay, we think you can do this. Now show us that you can or you can't. Um, so Claude Julien's been pretty stingy about that. It's 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 pretty well known. So Rick, you know, that's it's it's my hope that maybe. I mean, I know they say you can't teach an old dog no tricks, but maybe just maybe this will at least give Claude Julian a little more pause when constructing lineups with guys that he's got called up from the AHL or young prospects that okay maybe i need to give them a little bit of a, a not such a short leash um and and let them show us and surprise us as you say to to see what they can do well, we'll know quite, quite quickly whenever uh, the training camp starts for uh, the 2020-2021 season. Um, we'll see in training camp whether uh, the familiar, the comfortable Tatar, uh, Dano, Gallagher uh, trio is uh, put back together or whether he makes use of both his his young center uh, prospects, as well as the new additions in Josh Anderson and Tyler Tavoli to, to come up with uh, uh, different types of... I mean, you know that that, that um, uh, other forward line works uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that there's uh, some chemistry there. Uh, so why not? Um, as this is a, a, a change, uh, changing of the guard kind of season... Uh, why not see if uh, the other works? And 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 listen, it's it's about uh, as you say, putting putting the young prospects um, in positions to succeed uh, and showing them that you have uh, uh, confidence in their their talent. Could we also get Victor Meta off his wrong side? Could we do that? <laughs> Probably not. Is that possible? Could we do that, please? Well, uh, speaking of defensemen, one young player that we do know is certainly getting heaped with praise coming out of this 
press conference is uh, Alexander Romanov. Uh, my goodness, Claude Julian. I, it's not often that you can say you know, glowing remarks from Claude Julian, but pretty pretty much. I mean, he he basically said, you know, I can't say things for certain, but I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't on our roster. And and uh, I think we all would be. Um, he Romanov is a, is a bit different as in terms of prospects as mm-hmm. he's played in the KHL. He's played That's against right. men, and and um, and the adjustment uh, shouldn't be that difficult for uh, for him. Uh, although you know, there's always an adjustment to the quicker pace, the the need for quicker decisions at the NHL level, um, but. You know, as you said, Claude Julien seems to have confidence in his abilities, and and uh, he'll be uh, sheltered um, for for the most part on the third pairing. Uh, that should help him in his transition to the to the NHL. Absolutely. So, it's, uh, it it will be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I I'm I am hopeful for uh, the the youth and the future of the organization and the team, and I'm hoping that they're able to maybe get a few more opportunities than they have in the past. Uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, things were pretty quiet on on the Flyers' front this past week. Um, our, our friend and colleague Bill, Bill Meltzer had a, had a great article earlier this week talking about a few things that are still kind of up in the air for the Flyers. Uh, the signing of Philippe Myers is the big glaring one. Uh, he's he's uh, one left to be signed. Um so that's something that we'll we'll certainly keep an eye on. But aside from that, hockey news out of uh, the Flyers organization was pretty sparse this past week. However, not necessarily out of the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, it was actually just announced uh, yesterday. Uh, the Wells Fargo Center announced a new attraction. And this is kind of a, a great segue into the next topic that we're going to cover in this segment. Um, you know, it's... Th- with with a with a with the NHL not playing and the NBA is is not playing right now either um buildings like the Wells Fargo Center and and every other multi-use sports complex and arena uh around North America is you know we talk about how teams are struggling financially and teams are having difficulty and teams are having to furlough employees and this that and the other however buildings and building management is also going through the same thing. I get emails constantly from the PPL Center here in Allentown, where the Lehigh Valley Phantoms play, uh, with all sorts of creative ways that they're trying to look to bring in revenue while the building sits empty night after night. Um, So it looks like the Wells Fargo Center has gotten creative as well, and they've announced Winter on Broad Street, a holiday light spectacular, and essentially knowing full well that nothing is going to be happening at the Wells Fargo Center, um, at least through the new year, uh, they've announced a brand new dazzling outdoor holiday light attraction for Christmas. Um, It's going to run from Black Friday through January 3rd, and it's going to take up a 160,000 plus square foot area in all of the parking lots surrounding the Wells Fargo Center. Um, They'll charge admission. Everything is socially distanced. People are required to wear masks and so forth. But basically, you get to walk through uh, this big illuminated wonderland that's going to be created. Um, 
with 193 light sculptures and displays and light bulbs and all sorts of things. Um, and they'll charge admission for that. There's only a set number of guests that can uh, enter uh, at a certain time so that they don't have too many people crowded through the area uh, all at once. They'll have... Um, you know, they're going to follow city guidelines. They'll have, uh, you know, in addition to the lights, they'll have concession options um, and and things of that nature. And a little marketplace, like a little artisan village where they can do some outdoor holiday Christmas shopping and, and things of that nature. Um, so it's, it's an interesting concept. Tickets are um, 20 bucks for adults, $15 for children under 13. But it's a way for um, actually and free for children five and under, I should say. Um, Rick, it's it's an interesting thing. I, it's just one more piece of the puzzle that not everyone is thinking about. That it's not just the teams that have to consider how to stay afloat during all of this, but but buildings and arenas are sitting empty and and not making any money either. And and I think we're going to start to see a lot more of these kinds of creative ways to 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 generate some revenue. No sports in the buildings, no concerts in the buildings. That's right. Um, so yes, they'll they'll need to be creative. Um, I, you know, is there a market for it? Do people have the disposable income, the twenty dollars, and and uh, to to spend? I I I don't know. Uh, obviously, we'll find uh, out. <laughs> they think there there is a. a a market uh, to uh, that people would would like to enjoy this kind of thing uh, during the Christmas season, and um, and and maybe there is uh, with with people having been uh, cooped up. This is a way that they can get outside, uh, see Christmas lights, and and uh, uh, get involved with uh, with some Christmas spirit over um, you know what's what's been a a difficult time for for many families. Um, the one thing that's that's really kind of nice um, in Philadelphia is the way that the, that the sports facilities are set up with uh, the Wells Fargo Center, um, Lincoln Financial Field, and 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 Citizens Bank Park. Um, so I, I imagine uh, they're going to be, you know, uh, turning that into a bit of a, a, a Christmas light uh, uh, spectacular kind of uh, situation. So uh, good luck with that. Um, We'll, we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. Um, but that leads us right into into the next topic, and that is just how up in the air uh, return to play, even for the NHL is right now, there's nothing concrete in place. You know, Gary Bettman says that right after New Year, we're, things are going to start rolling. We That's not set in stone yet, for sure. Uh, we're seeing case counts uh, surging again uh, in the United States. Uh, we're hitting single-day records in certain areas. Um, sure, uh, some of that is is due to the fact that we're doing a lot more testing now than we were uh, back in March, April, and May. Um, but this, it, we're coming into flu season. Um, that's going to exasperate things. It, it's, there, it's a snowball effect. Nothing is set in stone not even for the NHL, but most certainly for the minor leagues, for the AHL, for the ECHL. Even though the ECHL we talked about, Rick, has a has a plan to start two separate start dates for for like half the league in December, the other the other half in January. But everything is still really up in the air. And this week we've heard uh, some reporting on on this. Uh, 
on the AHL's website, there's a tremendous article uh, all based around the Springfield Thunderbirds, and it's a it's a lengthy sit-down interview with their uh, president, um, and he talks about the state of things for the Springfield Thunderbirds and 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 where they're at right now, talking about how, you know, they were fortunately for them, they're one of the independently owned teams in the AHL. Um, and that fortunately for them, things were looking really good when the season came to a halt. Uh, they were ahead of budget, on track to make a profit. And so they were in a good position. However, that's that hasn't even prevented them from having to uh, furlough several employees. They're they're used to having a staff of 19. They're now down to seven. Um, so th- those seven people are trying to to cull things and, and keep things moving. Um, you know, he says ownership is committed to Springfield, that they're not going anywhere, but it's going to be really difficult. Things like, here's another thing. Um, you know, we've talked about how um, one of the big contingencies for the AHL is the ability for fans to be in the building because Ticket revenue, gate revenue is the driving force behind uh, the AHL. Well, also for sponsorships, sponsorships aren't with without a, a national TV agreement. Um, sponsorships aren't going to happen, or will be very, very difficult to sell if no one's going to see sponsorships on the boards and on the ice and things like that. So it's a it's a whole snowball effect. Um, and then coupled with that, Wyshynski over Greg Wyshynski over at ESPN had a had a lengthy number of sit downs with the head of the ECHL, the head of the AHL, and and Rick. There's just I think there's just more and more question marks that keep getting added to this story. The scary thing is, a lot of it's based on hope that yeah. we hope the situation changes. We hope that there's a vaccine. We hope that. Uh, we can get fans back in the building. And um, there, there's still a bit of, um, I, I don't know, uh, uh, awareness about what, is, what has actually happened. And, and uh, as you said, the, um, the, the, the spikes that we're seeing uh, on both sides of the border, spikes in Quebec like, uh, like we haven't seen before. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there is the 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 uh, tendency in Canada to look and say, "Well, the situation's much worse in in the U.S." Um, the 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 thing that I I notice there is that um, the U.S. Uh, tests uh, at a at a rate double to to what we test in Canada, and that's that's population adjusted. Uh, so there's there's uh, an, a lot more cases because there's a lot more testing going on, and testing is much quicker in the U.S. So, um, but but you you look at uh, I, I I sat down and had a look at the uh, highest death rates. We don't want to talk about that, but but you look at the death rates by state um, in the U.S. The highest death rates by state are New Jersey number one, New York number two, Massachusetts number three, Connecticut number four, Rhode Island number six. Um, so when you're thinking about the AHL, that's Binghamton, that's Bridgeport, that's Providence, that's Hartford, that's Springfield, that's Utica, that's Syracuse, and that's Rochester. Uh, we know what's happening in Quebec. That's Lavelle. We know that there's huge spikes in California. That's Stockton and San Jose and Bakersfield and Ontario and and San Diego. This is this is going to be very difficult um, to to 
bring back and and to have fans in the building. Um, the the interesting part of of uh, you mentioned the article uh, of the the president Nate Costa, the president of the Thunderbirds. Um, he said that they're in constant con- conversation with uh, teams in the NFL to mm-hmm. to get uh, a sense of what's happening there. And we've seen in the NFL. Um, and it, it varies by jurisdiction, um, some fans in the buildings. Nate Costa said um, that the, the owners that he's talked to, uh, there's no demand for those tickets. That, they're, they're, that it's really hard to sell it's them. It's really hard to sell those mm-hmm. tickets. That the fans aren't ready to come back. And so uh, a, a, a league like the AHL that depends on gate revenue if they're going to have trouble selling those seats or giving them away, uh, then what's the point? And um, you know, they're they're not saying that like the ECHL. There's been uh, some teams that have said no, we're not we're not participating this year. He said that isn't the case so far in the AHL, but it could be when they look at the economic model of what a return would mean, what uh, how many games that would mean, what the travel is, uh, all of those kinds of things. So. Um, you know, to be this much up in the air with so many questions left unanswered, so close to when the the season is supposed to start, uh, means it says to me that uh, that it's not going to be starting in December or January. This is going to get pushed back. Uh, uh, this is going to get pushed back even more. Absolutely, and that point that you made about Costa and and the NFL was was one that I absolutely wanted to hone in on. I mean, um, because it's it's a twofold issue. It's there are plenty of people who it, it he's saying there's plenty of people who mentally aren't ready to come back because of social distancing, fear of the virus, and and things of those. But there's also keep in mind there's a financial factor too. There's people that can't afford to buy those tickets mm-hmm. anymore. So you're up against a wall in two different ways. And and yes, as you said, he said even the Cowboys are facing challenges. And they've had to comp a lot of the tickets of people that you see in those stands. So that's really a harsh reality. Um, and and that's one as you as you say the AHL can't sustain in in that kind of in that kind of an environment and he says so yeah sure the league wants to get back as soon as they can and get the fans back in the arenas but if they push for a start too early the fans might not come and so then what are you supposed to do um, I found it interesting in in Greg Wyshynski's article when he was um, speaking with um, the president, the, our new president of of the AHL, Scott Halson, and he said, I thought this was interesting. He said that he believes that most, if not all, AHL teams will return for the 2021 season. He says, quote, I'm confident that they'll all be given the opportunity to decide. I think a lot of it will be driven by what the economics are going to look like. I can't tell you right now that I'm sure 31 teams are going to play, but in talking to all the teams, there's nobody saying, I don't want to do this. Um, But until we get to an actual start date, what the schedule is going to look like, what the travel is going to be, what the arrangement between the NHL team and their AHL affiliate is going to be, it's hard for me to say that everyone's going to participate. There are too many unknowns right now. Um, 
And so he also admitted, you know, we're getting pretty close to that December 4th tentative start date. And uh, he said maybe December 4th isn't realistic, that our teams aren't ready to do that. Um, and so now we're, you know, we, we've heard dribblings about this already, that the NHL might go to an all-Canadian division because you've got, uh, you know, you've got, for the AHL, you've got traveling to other cities and other states and other jurisdictions. You've got air travel for a, a good bulk of teams, even on the East, even in the Eastern Conference, traveling down to, say, Charlotte. Um, and then you've got the border, the international border between Canada and the U.S., which is still currently closed. Um, so, yeah, they're floating that whole, okay, maybe we make an AHL all-Canadian division. Maybe we move Utica up north of the border so that the Canucks can access their players. Maybe we move Stockton north of the border. Maybe we move, um, why do I keep forgetting the third Bakersfield. one? Bakersfield. Bakersfield up north of the border. Um, and that creates a whole new bevy of issues. So it's, I I, I know we, we've said this multiple times, but the first thing that we said about this over the summer was that the situation with the AHL would probably want, be one of the most fluid stories in the, in the return to play narrative. Uh, and it is continuing to prove to be so. The, uh, in the AHL, uh, many of uh, most, let's say, uh, of the AHL franchise are, are owned by their parent clubs, although there are some independent ones. Uh, the other part of this that's, um, I think, has yet to be addressed, and, and maybe that will be with the NHL's return to play committee, um, is will uh, the NHL rosters be expanded? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how, how will that be dealt with by the AHL team? Will, will they travel as a, as a black aces squad, um, or, or accompany their team with, uh, and, and still be paid? I mean, cause this will affect the salary cap as well. Still be paid as if they are part of the, the AHL, um, and and all you know, all of that has to be worked out, and and so that uh, if that's the case, then is there going to be movement between the AHL and NHL franchise, and and do those um, schedules have to be synchronized in some way? There's 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 this gets really complicated, mm-hmm. um, and and what we saw is is that maybe. Um, what they do is is split the season and plan uh, only half the season at a time, um, which sounds crazy, uh, but maybe that's what they they can do to see if if there's some improvement going into the second half of the season and it can look more uh, quote unquote normal uh, with fans in the building and with with uh, with teams traveling and maybe even traveling across the border. Now, the ECHL is taking a bit of a more ambitious approach, as we've talked about. Uh, They've got uh, a handful of their teams that are going to, they are slated to start in December, uh, with with basically the rest of them uh, starting after the new year in January. Um, But there is a second team that has opted out for the ECHL season. We had said originally that the Atlanta Gladiators, who are the Boston Bruins ECHL affiliate, they opted out early this month, um, saying that it just wasn't going to be sustainable for them. Um, But uh, just within the last week, the Norfolk Admirals have opted out. Uh, CEO Patrick Cavanaugh calling it, quote, a grueling decision uh, because their current statutes in Virginia state that only a thousand fans could attend admirals games and that's just not 
uh, that that just doesn't work in in revenue calculations. So um, then you're looking at okay, teams that have to opt out. That means that you're basically laying off your entire staff. You're missing a full season. How do you get those staff back after a year? They've had to move on for other income. I mean, I I feel for every team management group um, in in all of this it, in in every level of hockey because uh, I don't envy the never ending list of what ifs and contingency plans and war gaming that's got to be going on in the boardroom and in the conference room every single day. Uh, to try to figure out how all of this is going to come together. And this focus, the, the focus of this uh, conversation, is only on the franchises, on the ownership team. It's not on the players. And well, yeah. well, um, players in the NHL, you may, you know, they may, well, they do have a bit of a buffer given, given the salary structure there. Uh, if you jump down to the ECHL, you've got to be looking at those guys and thinking, you know, it's tough enough for them to make a living as it is in a full ECHL uh, season. Uh, so what are they doing and how are they approaching it? And and are they putting in all uh, this off-season training um, only to, to uh, you know, realize that, that they aren't going to be able to make a living from this this upcoming season? And, and do they have to transition out of hockey sooner than they would otherwise? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, where, that's where it really tugs at the heartstrings, that these guys are, are going through some tough times and some really tough decisions. It's, it's, it's really, it's hard to watch it. Um, and we just keep our fingers crossed. We hope for the best for every player, every staff member, every team management, every building management, um, for health, safety, and that at some point on the other side of all of this, uh, things will slowly get to go back to the way we <laughs> very recently remember them being, uh, but right now the road ahead is is certainly unclear as to as to what the path is going to be. We are going to take a quick break right now, however, and on the other side of this commercial message, uh, we are going to be very excited to welcome Ken Reed, broadcaster with Sportsnet in Canada, to the show uh, to talk about hockey and talk about his latest book that's just been released. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. The Press Zone is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. Be sure to follow us on social media. Find us on Twitter at The AHL Report. Check out our original game photography on Instagram at AHL Report and watch our exclusive video interviews with players, coaches, and other notable hockey names on our YouTube channel at All Habs. Just remember to turn on notifications so that you never miss a video. The AHL Report, your premier source for Laval Rocket, Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and all American Hockey League news. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. 
If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit AHLReport.com and click the Join Our Team tab at the top of the page today. Welcome back to the Press Zone right here on Rocket Sports Media and the AHL Report. Thanks so much for joining us again today. I am your host, Amy Johnson, joined by my co-host, Rick Stevens. And don't forget to uh, give us a follow on Twitter. You don't want to miss anything that we've got on social media, so be sure you're following us on Twitter. A couple ways for you to do that. Follow us, of course, at the AHL Report. Uh, That's the best place to go to get all of the AHL news. Uh, game recaps, exclusive inter- interviews, uh, video, all of that type of thing. So be sure you're following us at the AHL Report. Uh, if you're a Flyers fan, make sure you're following us at the Flyers Report as well, uh, where you'll get information about your favorite team and the Phantoms and, and Flyers prospects as well. Well, here on the Press Zone, we are proud to constantly bring you voices from from around the hockey community, whether it's former players uh, in the NHL or from the AHL, ECHL, or current players. And of course, we always like to speak with and catch up with uh, fellow members of sports media. And today, uh, Rick and I are happy to welcome to the show for the first time, Ken Reed, the co-anchor of the primetime edition of Sportsnet Central. Ken, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate uh, I appreciate your time. Now, listen. There's um, there's no cheering in the press box. We all know that, but we we have our our own favorites as we've grown up. And you, growing up in in Nova Scotia, uh, you were a, a fan of the Canadians. You also kind of fond of the the Penguins and number eighty seven. So, uh, in the return to play series, uh, not so long completed. Uh, you had the Penguins and the Canadians, and and how did, how was your was your loyalties were your loyalties torn there, and and what did you think of the result? Yeah, it's funny, you know, when you when you grow up, I was just a diehard Montreal Canadiens fan. Um, <laughs> Hockey night in Canada, that was our game on Saturday nights, mm-hmm. and I would I would dress up in my Hab stuff, and I would make my little sister dress up in her Hab stuff. <laughs> I bring. I brainwashed my sister Kate into being a, uh, a Habs fan. I loved Guy Lafleur, Mike McPhee, Stefan Richer, Shane Corson, all those guys. And um, I was diehard. And, and you guys know what it's like to get a little older. Sometimes you keep that fandom. But when you start to work in the media, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, no, no cheering in the press box. And, you know, uh, those you start to, to meet some guys in the game and, and uh, you kind of end up cheering for the stories. And <laughs> That's cheering, right. And, and cheering for certain people and hoping good things happen to good people. So, um, yeah, I mean, when, when I watched that series, I was I just kind of let it play it out. And whoever wins, you, you tend to uh, have some good stories on that team. So you kind of go that way. But, uh, yeah, as a kid, uh, I was a diehard Habs fan. But I always like to point out, 
Um, I was lucky growing up, you know, Wayne Gretzky was just totally in his prime and, mm. and kid, kids would say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Leafs fan. I hate Gretzky and the Oilers. And I was a diehard <laughs> Abs fan, but I'd say, I love Gretzky. For sure. Because I don't know if I was blessed with brilliance or uh, <laughs> I was just, I was just a master of the obvious, but I, I said, well, how can you hate a guy that's this good? We're very lucky to be growing up with this guy. So I was always a fan of, of the game and of players, but I was a diehard Habs fan. But yeah, that, that just kind of goes away as you work in the media, I find. Because I've been, geez, I've been doing this since, I don't know, over 20 years. So, you know, you meet, you, you cheer for people, I think, mm-hmm. at the end. Absolutely. Yes. We can relate to that for sure. Um, you know, and, and working in the media and, and growing to love those stories, you start to understand that a lot of those stories aren't necessarily superstar stories. And, and a couple of years back, you, you, um, a little while back, you, you authored a book called one, one night only conversations with the NHL's one game wonders, you know, and I great premise for a book, you know, those unsung heroes that maybe not so many people speak about, but you've just recently followed that up with a great sequel called one to remember stories from 39 members of the NHL's one goal club. So tell us just a little bit about this new book and, and why it was such a natural follow up to your first to the first book. Yeah, I, I, when I was a kid, I and I still collect hockey cards. And to me, every hockey card was a little piece of hockey history. And of course, I, I have my Gretzky rookies and stuff like that. But I never thought there was any such thing as a common card. In the collecting world, you know, if you're not a superstar, you're referred to as a common. But I always would flip the back of that card over and look at this guy's stats or his journey or maybe read his bio. And I guess, uh, Amy and Rick, we probably believe everyone has a story, and I've always believed mm-hmm. that. So I... You know, I grew up dreaming of playing in the NHL or scoring a goal, even if it was just one. And I guess as I got a little older, you know, I, I've I devour hockey books, but I wanted to know about the the guy that just played the one game and what his story was. And I got some great stories out of that. And then, you know, I, I thought, okay, what if you scored one goal? I mean, I've yeah. I've dreamt of scoring one goal playing road hockey. Probably so practiced guys, the celly a few times yeah, too. I I definitely did. <laughs> I went with the Gretzky pump every time, and and I thought, well, what's it like to score one goal at the NHL level? That's got to be a dream come true. And then I thought, well, what if it isn't? What if it's just part of this overall hockey journey, or or what if it's not enough? So we have a great stats guy at Sportsnet named Steve Fellin. So I asked him one night for a list of one goal scores, and he printed it off for me. There's give or take around 400 guys at a time. Wow. And there were some names I knew, like Dave Hansen from the Hansen Brothers. I knew him. I knew Frank Beaton. Uh, he's a Nova Scotia guy who was a tough guy in the 70s. I knew Dennis Bondi. Um, I, I know Flyer fans would be familiar mm-hmm. with Dennis, uh, especially if you're a fan of the Phantoms from back in the day, and Dennis skating around in the American League. Yeah. Most – most penalty minutes in pro hockey history, he scored a goal. And uh, then I went down the list of those guys I didn't know. So I remember going to look for a guy named Les Kozak because I wanted some original six guys in there, and he scored a goal in the 60s for the Leafs. But I just kept coming across the name Dr. Les Kozak, who lectured at universities in Poland, taught at LSU, uh, worked at the Jackson Laboratory in Maine. And I'm like, this is a world-renowned scientist. It can't be the same guy. Well, it was. Wow. <laughs> uh, I came across, I wanted to do a story on a guy named Stu McNeil. And I just kept coming upon Dr. Stu McNeil, orthopedic surgeon. Well, this can't be the same guy. It was. Wow. <laughs> so all these guys, um, no one was quite the same. And these goals, in a lot of cases, I thought would be the end of the journey. And it was kind of the start or a push 
mm-hmm. to go in, to go in a different direction. And what amazed me, I mean, guys, if I scored a goal in the NHL, I'd have it tattooed on my forehead. I sniped in the NHL. <laughs> Some of these guys were super proud. Some of them didn't. They're like, yeah, it was nice, but whatever. Some of them, one of the guys lost the puck playing pond hockey behind his house. He's <gasps> like, yeah, it's back in there somewhere, you know, and just <laughs> kind of shrugged his shoulders. So, yeah, it was really interesting to talk to all these guys. It was it was a lot of fun. Well, we love uh, good hockey stories. And what uh, regular listeners of the Press Zone will know that I harp on the hockey community is a small community. And we talk about the connections. And in the book, uh, the chapter is is uh, laid out really uh, nicely. There's uh, a section on goaltenders, which I naturally gravitate to, uh, one on tough guys, uh, players who played with Hall of Famers, and then there's the one with family ties. And that's where there's a connection uh, with uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Steve Thomas, of course, uh, was, uh, well, uh, 1,200 games, uh, very famous. But his son, Christian Thomas, uh, le- not so famous, uh, relatively so. Uh, but he had his, his opportunity as well. And, and uh, just to catch up or a scene set for Canadians fans, um, about 14 months into Mark Bergevin's uh, tenure, he made a trade, and it was Danny Cristo, the much... Uh, much promise from Dan- Danny Cristo, speedster. Uh, some problems with character traded for uh, to the Rangers for Christian Thomas. And in that press conference, um, Mark Bergevin spoke about character of Christian Thomas. Yeah. Uh, and that was, you know, obviously the bloodlines were, were pretty strong there. Um, Christian Thomas uh, played with the, the Hamilton Bulldogs. He got... Uh, uh, 18 games in with the Canadians, but then takes us to February 12th, 2015. And um, that was just four and a half years ago, but yeah. uh, the Canadians roster was is almost unrecognizable then till now. And, and uh, Brennan Gallagher was in the lineup. Uh, Dale Weiss was in the lineup. Carey Price wasn't actually in the lineup. He was on the bench. Dustin Tokarski was getting a turn, but uh, there was, and uh, Jeff Petrie was in the building, but he was in the, uh, playing for the Oilers. So it was a very different Montreal Canadiens team. And there was a fourth line, Michael Bourneval, Jacob De La Rose, and Christian Thomas. And Christian scores. I mean, if you dream of scoring in the NHL, right, it's a highlight reel goal. <laughs> and a lot of the guys in the book, it's a rebound. It's a slap. It's a, you know, whatever. Christian scores from what I could do, the 39 guys I saw, and he didn't have video of all their goals. He scores an absolute beauty. It is the dream come true goal, right? <laughs> it's in a packed bell center. Crowd's going nuts. And he totally snipes it, and that's it. That's his lone NHL goal. And you're right. The Habs were kind of in this transition phase there where they were kind of turning over their roster, you know? And Christian was just kind of swept up. He was a guy that got called up, played in just under 20 games. A few years later, he's in the Olympics representing Canada, which <laughs> which is pretty dang cool. Incredible, and his dad, yeah. Yeah, and his dad and mom got to go over. And you're right. Character means so much. So when I And you're right. When I cover the game, I cheer for a guy like Christian Thomas. Mm-hmm. And talking to him, it's like talking to his dad. And his dad, Steve, is just such a wonderful guy. I do a lot of charity work up here with Stumpy. He is just a quality individual. Christian's the same thing. And what I love about this book and, and, and doing these stories is you do get to talk to a lot of quality people. Uh, nobody I talked to said, no, if I reached someone, they spoke to me. 
And I wanted to get make it clear that I'm doing the book from his, from the perspective of wow, you scored a goal in the NHL as opposed to oh, you only had one. Right. To me, <laughs> yeah. to me it's a big difference. One, it's a yes, it is, Amy. And to me, scoring one is to be respected. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And I wanted these guys to know that there's people out there that really respect that. And I hope that's what the reader gets out of this. Um, I write in a uh, sitting down for a pop with a guy kind of style. I think I'm not. You're not going to need a thesaurus to read my books. It's I kind of I always say I write how I speak. I just say it and then I write it down. Um, but yeah, Christian's a guy that you can't help but cheer for. Right. Rick, as you said, it's only four and a half years ago. I mean, he's in Europe now. He's in the KHL. And who's to say the door's not open? Who's to say I might not have to rip uh, the pages out of this book, pages one fifty six, whatever <laughs> they are, and and he makes it back to the NHL. And there's guys in here like that that might get back. Which, well, he's uh, 28 years know, old, so it's, right. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, you, we got to remember, right, Mark Giordano, he went to Russia for a year. Now he's the longtime captain of the Flames. So it is definitely not impossible to uh, to make the jump back. But, yeah, Christian's one of those guys you just root for. Now I have to, uh, being based in the in the Philadelphia area for our Flyers fans, I have to to switch gears here in a little bit and talk about Coatsy. Got to talk yeah, about do. Steve Coates. You, um, you know, for me – Steve, I enjoyed very much when Steve Coates was was part of the Flyers television broadcast, um, just because of his really easygoing, self-deprecating humor style. Um, you know, you, you even mention in his chapter when he was traded from the Flyers organization to the Detroit Red Wings, he was part of a five-player trade, and he said, "Well, but I wasn't really part. I was the and." And you get Steve <laughs> Coates in the trade. Yeah. Um, so. He has a pretty remarkable story about his one and only goal, but then this is one of those stories where Steve Coates isn't really remembered and so revered in in Philadelphia because of the handful of games that he, you know, four or five games that he played in the NHL and his time Mm -hmm. in the American League. It's it's that he's built a decades-long career as a broadcaster in Philadelphia, and Oddly enough, we just spoke on our on last week's episode of this show, uh, giving a, a tip of the hat to Doc Emmerich and talking about how Doc got his career started in Philadelphia because Ed Snyder started Prism Cable when cable was becoming a thing. And Doc came over and got his first start at NHL play-by-play, working with Bill Clement mostly. Well, that was the same time that that um, Steve Coates got an opportunity after he had retired from, from pro hockey uh, that Ed Snyder said, come on over, we need somebody to do radio. Um, and part of the reason he got that gig was because he was that humorous guy that was making fun of and impersonating broadcasters and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, but as you'll know firsthand, I, I know from in a, in a previous life, I was a television reporter producer. Doing TV is not as easy as a lot of people think it looks. Um, and, and Steve's first shot at, the, at it that night um, didn't exactly go as smoothly as possible. Yeah. But he's built this decades-long career of, of being this beloved, um, just kind of every – every man's kind of broadcaster in Philadelphia. And so can you just talk a little bit about, A, what it was like uh, chatting with Steve about his history coming up through hockey before being a broadcaster for this book and just what it means to have that different kind of path? Well, you know what? When you talk to Steve, uh, he makes you smile through the phone. You know, he's one of those guys. (laughs) He's contagious. He's awesome. Uh, I quite enjoyed it. He's a 
just a fantastic example of the goal leading to something else, right? Mm -hmm. The goal is the beginning of his journey almost. And he's a guy that, that got a tryout because the scout that saw him knew that he had played with his son previously. He wasn't a hot shot coming out of college. Uh, my, the advice I always give to young broadcasters is I always say the greatest audio slave lyric of all time, my favorite all-time audio slave lyric is to be yourself is all that you can do. Steve Coates is himself. Mm -hmm. Now, Amy, you know, sometimes when you're in TV, uh, being yourself is the hardest thing to do. It is. And, and man, when, and I, I, Coach, you told me about that first broadcast. Cause he was probably trying to be a broadcaster, right? He was trying right. to be the guys he was imitating. Then after a while, he probably realized, well, they hired me because I'm me. And so he was like, just be yourself. And he is so genuine, so authentic. Uh, he's a guy that I, I look up to as a broadcaster and kind of go, yeah, that's, I like to think that's what I am too, right? Just, just a guy. And it, but that goal gave him an opportunity and, and Ed Snyder saw him as this, this guy with this contagious personality and it worked. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, and I love the photo of Coatsy in the book with Bernie Perron. Yeah. I, I, I asked him if he could, I could use that photo for the book. He's like, oh man, that's, that's like one of my favorite photos. I'd love if you could use that because you can just see it's, it's Coatsy getting a laugh out of a Hall of Fame goalie, right? That's like right. They're just, they're just sitting there having a blast. <laughs> that's right. So that is Steve Coates. And you're right. The whole, the whole chapter on him is self-deprecating, you know, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, he's on a breakaway with a pulled groin. He's talking about dumping in the corner. It's, it's a, it's a riot. Uh, the, the world needs more Steve Coates. Put it that way. I agree. I agree for sure. Well, you know the the entire book. The the great thing about a book like this, and you mentioned it a, a couple of minutes ago. You know, it's written in a very conversational style. It's an easy read. It's one of those things where you can pick up and just read one story at a time. If you if you mm -hmm. don't have time to sit down and read it in full. Um, I highly recommend that that people go out and pick it up. Uh, in addition to to its predecessor, the the one night only, the one game wonders book as well. Thank you. So my my question for you is, you know, what's what's next on the on the horizon? Do you have an idea of what's coming up next for for the book writing? I don't. Um, you know, it's funny. This is my sixth one, and people ask me, "Oh, you must have had a lot of time to write." Uh, during the shutdown, during the lockdown, I said, no, no, that was the one time I couldn't get anything done because my two sons were home. My boys are seven and five. So the, the I work nights at Sportsnet, and I, I when I write, I write during the day, and it's quiet time at the house during the day, and the boys are home, so I've got to put on my full-time dad hat as opposed to three o'clock on dad hat, and so no writing during that. I've talked to a former player about possibly writing a book with him, a buddy of mine. We, we might do that, but there's nothing uh, nothing on the way officially. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I you talk to people and they say, oh, writing a book, oh, God, is awful. I actually enjoy it because I got to talk to 39 guys who got to do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, they got to score in the NHL. So, yeah, I mean, my style is pretty conversational and, you know, it's like I said, a lot of guys will say, you know, where I read your book, 39, I say, yeah, I, I get it. I know. And I don't take that as an insult. I think that is a compliment. Um, everyone has to read. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think you guys know what I'm alluding to. The bathroom. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, nothing planned, but I, you know, I never know what will quite come my way. But I, I really did enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, the thing is you don't need to have read one night only to read one to remember. But. Hey, man, if you buy them both, I get 50 cents royalties off each one. So that's a dollar wow. in my pocket. Yeah. So so have at her. But I, I, really, I really enjoy the process. And I, 
I love uh, telling stories of guys that maybe people don't know their story. That I mean, there's guys in here. I'm sure they've only told this story to their their kids or their family and friends. You know about their one goal. So I was really happy to get to to tell. And I actually got a nice handwritten letter from uh, Dr. Stu McNeil. Oh wow! Um, and it was just kind of thanks for remembering me and. And that, that means a lot when you, uh, sure. when you, when you hang up the phone and the guys, the last thing they say is thanks for remembering me. And if I can put a little, little story to print and make it part of hockey history, I, I consider that just a, just an, an honor to be able to, to do that. Well, we, uh, we certainly agree with that. We, we greatly enjoy uh, getting to help promote and, and speak to someone who's just as passionate about telling everyone's hockey stories throughout the hockey community not just not just necessarily the big superstars uh, they're mm-hmm. all of the stories are important and it's as you mentioned at the beginning uh, of this segment you know it's uh, they all deserve respect for whatever level of pro hockey they get to because it's it's a struggle every single day to get there and maintain it so um, it is it is Thank you, uh, Ken, so much. Again, the book is called One to Remember, Stories from 39 Members of the NHL's One Goal Club. We want to thank you for your time. We also want to thank Susanna uh, over at ECW Press. Uh, She has sent us a few copies of the book that uh, we'll be announcing in recent days and weeks, in upcoming days and weeks. So we'll we'll do a little promotional giveaway contest. So be on the lookout for that uh, and get a few copies of this book out there to some of our listeners. Awesome. That's good as Susanna, but but thank you, Amy. Thank you, Rick, for having me. And uh, always happy to talk hockey. Call anytime. Thanks a lot, Ken. This has been great. Thanks so much, Thanks, Ken. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. See you guys. Rick, I have to say that was um, <laughs> that was a very fun conversation with Ken. I'm so glad that he came on the show. Uh, and really, uh, this this book we we talked about it with Ken a little bit there. You know, we talk a lot about um, some of the players that we profile on on this show and and even on the pages of AHLReport.com are not always, you know, the 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 glamorous players, the 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 star, you know, the big stars, the the ones that everyone in the media is talking about. Sometimes it's the guys who uh, kind of get a little uh, trodden on, uh, you know, and maybe get a little more criticism. Uh, but we learn to look for character and we we learn to look for good stories and and I really liked how how Ken talked about you know you cheer for you start cheering for players because of not only what they do on the ice but who they are as people and what their stories are and and that really harkens to what we do here at Rocket Sports Absolutely. Um, yeah, we started that. I, I said no cheering in the press box, and uh, because we we each have our our uh, growing up, um, you know, we're all sports fans, hockey fans uh, to start with before we we got into this business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that 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 kind of evolves when you take a more objective view, when you become a journalist, a uh, sports journalist, uh, when you when you are credentialed, when you're in the press box. Um, and then at that point, as he said, you're cheering for good people, mm-hmm. uh, good things to happen to good people. And, and that's basically uh, what we do. Um, and and sh- in showing that, that there are all kinds of different paths to the NHL, uh, how hard it is to make it into the NHL, and, and how, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, as you said, um, social media uh, uh, fans can, can get on certain players. Uh, we have to keep reminding ourselves that Twitter isn't real life, and and but <laughs> um, th- this book is full, uh, you know, not 
not necessarily the household names, uh, but uh, really good stories about good people, good character people, um, and uh, you know who are 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 have the common thread uh, of of being part of the NHL's one goal club. Absolutely, and you know we we talk too about how. Um, for us, you know, we we see any of these guys who play pro hockey, and regardless of whether they're a superstar or a guy who's going to spend most of his career in even the ECHL, um, we have a lot of respect for what it takes for these guys to achieve what they have just by playing professional hockey. Um, getting to the NHL for even just one game is so difficult. And and to get there and stay is even harder. Um, you'll find stories in this book that talk about how it's hard to get to the NHL. It's even harder to stay there. And that is so true. Um, and in fact, the foreword in this book is is written by Colby Armstrong. And he talks about how, you know, um, meanwhile, you get a fan out there on social media or in the peanut gallery as you're walking through a parking lot that says, you know, you suck, you're brutal. no. Colby Armstrong says, this book is a testament to just how hard it is to make the NHL. And that really rings true. Um, you know, it's sure you can get down on players because they make a mistake or they're, or they're not playing as well as you expect them to or think they should or, or you know, in your road hockey game after dinner, you think you can play better. Um, whatever the case may be, uh, it's fine to be a fan, but but also remember that they deserve respect for achieving something that most people never will, and that's by playing even one game in pro hockey, much less the NHL. So we really appreciate Ken coming on to the show. Again, the book is One to Remember, stories from 39 members of the NHL's One Goal Club. There is a link to it uh, in our post on uh, for the podcast uh, on AHLReport.com. And uh, we thank Ken for coming on. We look forward to having him on again soon. Uh, and so we are going to take one more quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk a little bit about how now that the draft uh, has has come and gone a little later this year than usual, uh, that maybe the rankings for organizations' prospect pools have shuffled around a little bit. Maybe some got better. Maybe some got worse. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and preview our Movember campaign. So don't go away. We'll be back right after this. For all the latest news, interviews, analysis, and commentary about the Laval Rocket, Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and every other team in the American Hockey League, as well as information on prospects, junior hockey, and international hockey, head over to AHL.Report, the home of the AHL Report. Follow along on Twitter at the AHL Report for live game updates, ringside photography, game recaps, and articles containing exclusive audio and video of your favorite players. That's the AHL Report, proud partner of Rocket Sports Media, AHL.Report. In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com The Press Zone is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media. 
digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. In addition to building a worldwide network of sports fans, the team at RSM is also dedicated to mobilizing the sports community in ways that make a difference in the lives of others. Giving back to the community bridges the gap between team affiliations. It's something any fan can support. RSM proudly provided support for organizations and projects like Hockey Fights Cancer, Five Hole for Food, the Montreal Canadiens Children's Foundations, Autism Speaks, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, and the People of Canada Portrait Project, just to name a few. If you would like to be involved with a Rocket Power project or have a worthy fundraising initiative you'd like us to be part of, please contact us at rocketsportsmedia.com. And welcome back once again to the Press Zone right here on Rocket Sports Media and the AHL Report. Once again, I'm your host, Amy Johnson, joined by my wonderful co-host, Rick Stevens. And I will remind you one more time, make sure you're following us on social media at the AHL Report and at the Flyers Report. You don't want to miss a single minute of any of our coverage. Uh, one thing before we get into uh, the topics for this segment, I do... Uh, I slipped my mind to mention as we wrapped up uh, Ken Reed's interview, be sure you're following us on those social media accounts for sure, because uh, within the next week or so, uh, keep an eye out. We will have information on how you can enter uh, a giveaway contest to receive your very own copy of Ken Reed's book, One to Remember, stories from 39 members of the NHL's One Goal Club. We uh, we have a couple of copies to give away uh, to some very lucky listeners and readers and followers. So be sure you're following us at the AHL Report and uh, stay tuned for details on that contest giveaway. Uh, so in this segment, Rick, we want to talk just briefly. Uh, you mentioned to me and, 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 you know, we talk about how Organizations build their prospect pool. Some organizations have a, a, a deeper prospect pool at certain times than others. The Flyers are, are renowned to have had a very deep prospect pool thanks to Ron Hextall's drafting uh, over the last number of years. Um, a lot of fans like to say that Montreal Canadiens have a good prospect pool. Whether you know it's it's been ranked, uh, there are there are some folks uh, who who agree and disagree, but. Now that the draft has taken place, um, have folks in the national media or, or people who who rank prospect pools, uh, has there been a, a lot of shuffling since the draft happened? Well, I think, first of all, that, that different people have different opinions. Right. Um, and uh, what we try to stay away from, uh, either for the draft rankings or for the prospect rankings, are the celebrity uh, rankers, um, right. those, those that spend a lot of time, uh, spend more time on TV than they do in rinks. Sure. Uh, so we like to, uh, focus on those who, who write about this issue, uh, because they're informed by being in a rink, uh, all the time or watching tape, um, watching video, 
Um, and and one of them, this this particular one is is Corey Pronmans who uh, put his out on on the athletic. Uh, Corey Pronman, we've known for a long time, right back from when he was um, uh, shadowing uh, Bob McKenzie around, trying to learn everything he he could from him. We mm-hmm. remember that years ago. Um, but Corey is one of those who who knows the, these uh, organizations inside and out. He did a a, a draft uh, a, a ranking of the prospects prior to the draft, and now he's released his post draft rankings. So uh, the movement up or down has been based on the draft. The two organizations that we focus on, uh, the Montreal Canadiens and the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, you know, had a decent draft, mm-hmm. um, but but um, you know the grades that I've seen are around the C, you know, B minus kind of yeah. range, uh, and um, so not 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 an impactful draft. Uh, and Corey would tend to agree with that. Uh, his ranking uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, um, they drop from pre-draft uh, where they were ninth to. Post draft, where he's ranked them as 11th, so out of the Ooh. top 10. Um, Philadelphia also drops two places; they drop from 10th to 12th, and and that is again that's that's because they didn't have a, a big inf- impactful uh, draft to um, to add prospects at the top of their pool. Right. In both cases. Um, you know he's ranked the top dozen prospects, and the Canadians added to their. 9, 11, and 12 uh, ranked prospects, uh, Gouli, um, Meshach, and, and Farrell. And the Philadelphia Flyers added uh, 10, 11, and 12 Forrester, Andre, and McLennan uh, to their draft pool. So mm-hmm. um, n- not a big impact. Uh, and I say that looking at other organizations like Detroit, like Ottawa, uh, like the Los Angeles Kings, who j- jumped from 13 to 5 in his estimation. Um, so the Rangers, uh, well, the Rangers, yeah, he had them ranked, uh, first before the draft and, and, uh, they weren't going to move out of that spot once no. they got a chance to pick first overall. So, um, I, I think the, the issue with fans is, you know, as you said, uh, the, the flyers always talk about Hextall's picks and they were great. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a fluid situation mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you don't, because you've you've uh, you've drafted well for a couple of years, you got to keep that up to keep that prospect pool going. Yeah. Otherwise, your ranking is going to change. Your prospect pool is going to diminish. Uh, also, you know when you've been successful with with uh, draft picks, uh, those prospects graduate and and they aren't part of uh, what's evaluated as your prospect pool anymore. So um, it's always something that teams have to be working at. And and those rankings, you know, again, we hear we see it on social media about the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, top prospect. Well, you know, um, th- that changes, mm-hmm. and you got to keep up on it. And it's the reason why we like to to talk about it from time to time and let our listeners know um, where where things kind of uh, fall with respect to those two organizations as they compare to other teams in the league. Absolutely. And that's not to say that you shouldn't get excited about your prospects. Of course not, no. Um, That's that's the the nuance, right, Uh, between analyzing a prospect pool and just being excited about the prospects that a team drafted. And so that's not to say that the, that the, uh, that the, 
players that Montreal and Philadelphia or any other team uh, drafted this year aren't players to get excited about. There are some players in both of those organizations' drafts that I think are, are going to be really fun to watch develop. Um, from a from an analytical standpoint, it simply means that these that the players, while you may be excited about the fact that they were drafted by Montreal or by Philadelphia, um, don't expect to see them in the lineup right away. It just means that, you know, they're going to need some time to develop. It means you're going to get some time to get excited about watching them play in junior, perhaps, or or college hockey. Um, maybe some of them will come through the AHL system. You'll get excited about watching them there. We'll certainly cover them at that level as well. Um, so bumping down in, in your prospect pool ranking um, is more of a just how deep is, is the organization's prospects. Um, it's not a, a, a message of who has good prospects or bad prospects. Uh, it's just about how soon will they be impactful to borrow to borrow Rick's words. But very interesting to see um, both uh, Philly and Montreal, according to Corey Pronman, uh, drop out of the top 10 uh, in, the, in the league for their prospect pool. So Got to work on that for next year. <laughs> Got to work on that for next year. Uh, one thing we do need to start working on, however, uh, believe it or not, next week is November already. And that means, uh, you know, last week on last week's show, we uh, we had the the pleasure and privilege of having Charlie Lindgren on the show uh, with us for a bit. And uh, Rick talked to him about that uh, pretty style and Western stash that he was rocking during the NHL's return to play in the Toronto bubble. And it reminds us that uh, those mustaches need to start growing because Movember is just around the corner. And uh, Rick, will uh, will Rocket Sports Media be participating again this year? Well, Charlie said that uh, that perhaps the uh, his stash would make a return for uh, Movember. Mm -hmm. And um, it's Movember is is uh, a, a an organization and a charitable organization that uh, Rocket Sports Media has supported uh, enthusiastically since uh, 2014. Mm -hmm. um, every year we we participate in the the Movember campaign um, that of course is there to raise awareness and funds. Uh, for uh, men's mental and physical health. Mm -hmm. um, and our team has gotten together and uh, listen, we participated in in different ways. It's um, you know fundraising. we've we've collected money. Uh, we've donated our own money. Uh, we've grown a stash. We've um, some of some of you have have committed to uh, being more physically active for the month. Um, and and it's it's part of of uh, our way of giving back. Uh, the the um, commercial that just was was on talked about rocket power, and and we're a, a small tight knit uh, organization, a family as as you might say. And and we um, I'm very proud of our group. Uh, very that we all enjoy working together. Um, not only to to help produce a, a, a premium product that we deliver to you that you can trust in, but um, but 
but we're, we come together to, to use our social media uh, power to uh, raise awareness for, for worthwhile projects, and certainly Movember uh, over the years uh, has been one of them. Um, so we're going to ask you, we're going to be um, reporting on it. We may have some stories on the websites. Um, we're going to maybe be asking for you um, uh, for money, but we understand that, that that's not going to be the focus this year. Um, even though the the need is 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 still great, uh, it's a challenging time for you and your and your family. So our focus is going to be uh, just on you um, thinking about and 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 raising awareness on your own social media and participating that way about the the men that you care about. They're they're your your fathers, your brothers, your uncles, your husbands. Um, and and your grandparent grandfather and and um, you know we all love them and and we all want them to uh, um, be healthy and and live a long uh, full life and uh, we're glad that there's organizations like Movember who are able to uh, bring us together once a year in November to uh, re- remember that and and pull us together as sports fans. Absolutely. So again, that's another reason for you to be following our social media accounts at the AHL Report. Uh, you can find Rick at All Habs. You can find me at Flyers Rule. And uh, we'll have details coming out on how Rocket Sports is participating in November this year and, and how you can uh, join in the campaign as well. Before we go, however, always have to end the show on an upbeat note with a feel-good finale. This week it's called Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, pretty good song. Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, ever since, uh, found this story that I thought was great. Ever since 1941, there is a school in Arkansas called the Arkansas School for the Deaf. Um, and they've been, as I said, they've been around since 1941. Their school mascot is a leopard. That's right. They are the Deaf Leopards. <laughs> and a certain rock band found out about it. And a certain rock band went and visited the school. There's uh, some pictures online of of the members of the band um, with uh, with the with the some of the students. But they believe they invited the students to come to a Def Leppard show. And so there's pictures of them up on stage with 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 their um, with their scoreboard that says you know the Def Leppards on it. Um, and Arkansas School for the Deaf Leopards. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So kudos to Deaf Leopard. I mean, I live in eastern Pennsylvania. Deaf Leopards was huge around here. Still is. Uh, love Deaf Leopard and uh, love hearing that uh, some very deserving students got a pretty remarkable experience getting to meet the band. Love those kinds of stories. Um, We are just so glad that you were here with us this week. Uh, Thanks again to Ken Reed for joining us today. Again, we've had some tremendous guests on the show within the last couple of months. Uh, Ken Reed this week. We had Charlie Lindgren last week. uh, Bobby Farnham the week before that. We've had uh, recently Brian Propp, Danny Briere. of course, got uh, folks from the media. We had uh, Doug Gellivan over the summer. We had... uh, uh, our friend Bill Meltzer uh, was on, um, Russ Cohen. We've had just so many. So if you want to ca- go back and catch up on some of those old episodes and catch those interviews, if you missed any of them, uh, Rick, what's the best way for people to do that? 
Well, I think what I'm going to focus on is making sure that you subscribe. Uh, you subscribe and you share. You, you listen to the, the pod, podcast. Uh, you subscribe and you share with your friends. And uh, that way, uh, I mean, we we have uh, AHLReport.com. We have RocketSportsRadio.com where you can go back and listen to archived episodes. But you can find those uh, on every podcast platform out there. Uh, and if you subscribe, you'll not only get the most recent uh, uh, episode, you'll you'll be able to look back in the archives. And we're, you know, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on mm-hmm. Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Pocket Casts, we're on Overcast, we're on TuneIn Radio, and most recently, also on Amazon Music. So subscribe. That's where we're asking you to do two things, is to um, uh, subscribe and to share it with uh, fellow hockey fans. Absolutely. Uh, We really appreciate you being with us every week. As we've said, uh, there is no shortage of content for us, even though it is technically the off season. We'll continue to bring you great interviews where you that you won't find anywhere else. Exclusive interviews uh, like the one that we had today with Ken Reed and uh, Charlie Lindgren last week. Uh, So thank you for joining us. Be here with us every week. Uh, Continue to stay safe, uh, social distance, wear your mask, wash your hands. uh, Just stay safe out there. Uh, and stay safe if you are choosing to participate in Halloween this weekend. Uh, we want you to have fun, but we want you to be safe as well. Uh, and be sure you tune in for the Canadians Connection with uh, Joe Whalen and Rick Stevens on Saturday if you're a Habs fan. And uh, after you have fun with all of those festivities, join us back here again next Tuesday for another great episode of The Press Zone. We'll see you then. Click subscribe to never miss an episode of The Press Zone on Rocket Sports Radio. Visit AHLReport.com for the latest news on hockey prospects.